following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Father God, we thank you so much for making us part of your church family. We thank you, Lord, for the blood of your Son who purchased a place for us, purchased pardon, forgiveness for our sin. Lord, we are grateful. Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that your spirit would speak, that you would uh, shine the light of on the truth of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we would grow as disciples, maturing and becoming more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are back in the Gospel of Luke. This morning, we're going to look at chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 25, uh, and that's page 855 in the Pew Bibles. Um, now, I know that I have said to you before that the whole Old Testament is about the person and work of Jesus. The Old Testament doesn't make sense if you remove Jesus from the equation. And that isn't always apparent to everybody, um, especially if you've never read the Old Testament or the New Testament. Um, So everything's profound until you try it once, right? Well, so I want to start our study this morning in Luke actually with a quick look at Malachi. Uh, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, um, and it comes, um, it comes before 400 years of silence where no prophet spoke in Israel. Um, no prophet appeared in Israel for 400 years. Um, and 400 years is a long time. I know that, uh, you know, some of you have been around that long, but not all of us have, uh, <laughs> To give you an example of just how long 400 years is uh, to kind of get our perspective uh, wrapped around that a little bit, um, hopefully make 400 years seem a little more real to you. 400 years ago this past Thursday was an important day. You all celebrated, right? It was the day that Miles Standish was, uh, was elected governor of the Plymouth Colony. So that's 400 years, all right, just to give you a little perspective. So just imagine... Um, Miles Standish was the last person to speak on God's behalf. And that's that's it. That's all we had. Just to give you a picture of just how long the Jewish people have been waiting to hear a message from the Lord. And what was the message? The last word. I'd like to I'd like to read two pieces um, from Malachi uh, chapter three and chapter four to see what that first message was after 400 years of silence. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then Malachi 4.5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, 
lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, I don't know if if those descriptions sound familiar at all to you. Um, I will give you, I don't know, some uh, strategies for cheating on these sermons. We're going to go through the Gospel of Luke. Don't read ahead. <laughs> go ahead and read the whole thing, uh, or, or at least chunks of it, and you'll, you'll kind of see where we're going. Um, it's a wonderful thing that you can own a copy of the Bible for yourself um, and read ahead. So now, thinking about the words of Malachi and the 400 years of silence afterwards, um, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Well, let's just stop there. Um, Because we we have to look at another prophecy concerning Messiah based on just those words, when Herod was king of Judea. And this is a prophecy that's way older than Malachi's prophecy. Um, it, it, it wasn't Malachi who wrote it. It was Moses. In Genesis 49, verse 10, Moses wrote, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, forgive me, that's from the NIV, um, but it, I, I know, but it makes, a, it makes a little bit more sense. It's not quite as clunky. Verse, verse 5 of Luke says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, uh, we have to know a little bit about that in order for these prophecies to work, for them to make sense. So what do we know about Herod? Herod is not from the tribe of Judah. Herod was an Edomite. Herod was not Jewish, right? He was appointed by the Romans to govern Judea. As Moses had written in Genesis 49, the scepter, with the ruler's staff, right, had indeed departed from Judah. The ruler's staff had been removed from between his feet. But to whom, but he to whom it belonged was about to come on the scene. And in case you're, in case you're curious, that's, um, that's Jesus, right? So even Herod ruling over Judea was a fulfillment of prophecy of the coming Messiah, right? But how often do we just blow over those words, right? So, okay, right. Herod, King Judea, right? And let's talk about John the Baptist. Because he's way more interesting than that, right? Fulfillment of prophecy is like the the odds are astronomical um, of what uh, of of anyone fulfilling the prophecies from the Old Testament in one person. It's it's. I read this week that it's the, about the same as if you were to cover the state of Texas in quarters, uh, two feet thick. That would represent the, the chances, uh, if you took one quarter and, and wrote a star on it and threw it out there into Texas, two feet deep, and then the person going and randomly picking that one marked quarter, that's the, that's the chances of, of anyone 
any one person fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. Right, there's over 300 prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled them all. And you can see even Herod being ruler of Judea was one of those fulfillment uh, prophecies fulfilled. So uh, what Nate said a couple of weeks ago about how the whole Bible works together is absolutely true. You have to pay attention. You have to go looking for it sometimes. So uh, I don't always want to do all that work for you, but I'm willing. Um, so anyway, let's go back to Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the of, uh, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And his And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. May the Lord's blessing be on his word. So, in Luke's orderly account of the things that Jesus began to do and teach, he is the only gospel writer to include the birth of John the Baptist. Um, And he paints the picture of a land in deep darkness before the great light of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Well, who do we see? And what do we learn from them in his account here? First, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
How Zechariah and Elizabeth, as, as Luke writes, were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they didn't have any kids because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Um, I have to say, I'm sorry. That means they were over 60. Um, that's, that's the language. Sorry. Uh, I didn't write it. So they were old. <clears throat> but most, by most accounts, these were good people, right? These are the kind of neighbors that you want to have. They're upright people, uh, good people. And their only problem was they didn't have any kids. Now, in our culture today, that's, that's not as big a deal. Um, at least it doesn't have the same kind of social repercussions. You don't want to have kids? Don't. To each his own, right? That's, that's our culture. Now, see, this is part of the difficulty that we run into when we just overlay our understanding of culture and reality over the New Testament and expect the New Testament to play by our rules. Right? It doesn't work that way. Um, in their culture, in the first century, Having children brought shame and disgrace on a family. Right? Not, not having children. Oh, so, no, sorry. Having children was just a pain. But not having children. <laughs> right, sorry. Yeah, not having, I did write it down. Uh, not having children brought shame and disgrace on a family. <laughs> sorry. I'm just thinking about my own experience. See, you're not supposed to do that. Now, to add to that, Zechariah served as a priest in the division of Abijah. Now, to be a priest in Israel, you were just born into it. It wasn't a job that you earned. It was a job that you were born into, right? Um, and it's not an insignificant fact that Zechariah uh, was of the division of Abijah, um, maybe. So stick with me here. Um, going back... Uh, the sons of Aaron, the brother of Moses, were the ones uh, to make up the class of priests for the nation. Right, the sons of Aaron. And Aaron had two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. And of um, Eleazar and Ithamar's descendants, those would make up the priests. Um, and they were divided up into 12 divisions based on their sons. Right. Now, Eleazar the, was the oldest. Um, there were 16 divisions from Eleazar and then eight divisions from the younger son, Ithamar. And the division of Abijah was the last of that eight divisions. He, they were the, they were in, but just barely, right? This is the lowest division in the classes of priests. Take that for what it's worth. Thinking of the coming of Messiah in the most humble conditions, it, 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 it's a recurring theme. <laughs> okay, Not a coincidence. So here's Zechariah, a nice, devout, older fella, kind of low on the ladder, being the last division of the priests, um, and certainly lower because he's under the cultural shadow of not having, uh, not having any kids. 
And Zechariah was chosen by lot, however, to offer incense uh, in the holy place during his week of service at the temple. And they cast lots for this job so that nothing was designed by man, right? It wasn't designated. There was no favoritism. By casting lots, um, they, they counted that as the, the Lord's hand moving. And it certainly was, if uh, remember the story that we're reading. So the, other, the 24 divisions of priests represented about 20,000 men, right? Um, and the 24 divisions, um, so it, it, the math works out to be about 800 to 850 priests serving um, at the temple for their week um, of the year. It was said that having the lot fall to you to, to, to offer the incense was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That's just the chances for pretty pretty even that you might get to do it once and today was Zechariah's day so Zechariah is in the holy place of the temple not the holy of holies but the area outside of that um, and all kinds of people are outside praying at the hour of incense while he puts incense on the coals burning coals from the altar right so he takes the burning coals from the altar inside the holy place and then places incense on those coals that represent the prayers of the people. And all the people are gathered outside praying. Okay? Not an insignificant job. And then things get interesting. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So this is an amazing event, right? Obviously, it's been 400 years since anybody heard anything directly from the Lord, right? They just kept going about the temple business and worshiping in that way. But there's no angels appearing. There's no prophets speaking. Nothing. Until this, right? And what I find most interesting is what the angel says about Zechariah's prayer. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Now, forgive me, this is strictly speculation. You have no evidence to prove this one way or the other. But don't you think that by 60-ish, Zechariah probably stopped praying for a son. Like, uh, again, speculation. I know it's completely possible and probably accurate that he hadn't given up hope and he continued to pray in this way. But it's also completely possible that the Lord was answering a different prayer by blessing him and his wife with a son in their old age. It's completely possible And maybe they're both true. I don't know. But it's completely possible serving as a priest for the people, a representative of the people to God at the altar of incense, that what he's praying for was the consolation and redemption of Israel. Praying for the coming of Messiah. It could be both, obviously. Could be one, could be the other. Now, I'm I'm probably over-spiritualizing that, and I know that's a danger. And I want to say 
when we look at these historical narrative accounts, it is very tempting to turn them into allegories and just find the lesson at the end of the story. It's dangerous to do that, right? So I, I, and I'm not sure I haven't done that, but it's dangerous. So let's be careful. So either way, whether Zechariah was really praying for the consolation of Israel or he just wanted to have a kid so that shame and reproach would be removed from his family, either way, that's exactly what the Lord was doing. Fulfilling prophecy to prepare the way for Messiah to come. And Zechariah and Elizabeth get blessed too. And that's kind of how the Lord works, right? He is at work accomplishing things through people, through us, around us, that don't necessarily have anything to do with us, but we get blessed too, right? I mean, that's... When you share the gospel with somebody and they give their life to Christ, that's about them coming to faith in Jesus and God's kingdom expanding, And you get blessed, too, because you're there and God used you. And that's a blessing. Right. And that's just kind of how it works. So God is at work fulfilling prophecy to prepare the way for Messiah to come. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. That's not an insignificant statement either. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, since we're able to read ahead, we know exactly, that's exactly what John the Baptist would do. That's what he grew up and did. He was the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy, the herald of Messiah, who preached repentance to the people and called them back to the Lord so that they would be prepared when Jesus arrived on the scene. And of course, since Zechariah was such a good guy, devout, faithful, faithful priest. Of course, we know he's right on board. The angel says, this is what's going to happen. He's like, awesome. No. After all, everybody, everybody that hears the word of the Lord just does exactly what he says. Right? I mean, obedience is easy. Yeah, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Zechariah instead responds probably like we would have. Uh, Really? Are you serious? Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? Sometimes our translators just, I don't know. Like, are you nuts? I think that's a more literal translation. Like, glowing dude, are you serious? How shall I know this, for I'm an old man? And he was much more polite about his wife. My wife is advanced in years. I'm married to an old lady. And the the angel answered to him, I am Gabriel. One of two named 
angels in Scripture, Gabriel and Michael. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I cannot read this without hearing a very annoyed tone. And Gabriel, you've got to be kidding me. I, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. You dope. Oh, that, that was me. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. That's exactly what happens, right? Zechariah is struck dumb. Uh, he can't talk. A familiar feeling to me, it is no fun, right? Uh, and an argument can be made based on the account of John's actual birth later in the Gospel of Luke that he was also deaf as well as dumb. But we'll get that when we when we get to uh, the birth of John the Baptist. So for nine months or ten, he is unable to speak as a punishment for his doubt. But his punishment was also the sign that he asked for. He's asking the angel, give me a sign so that I know that this will will really happen. Be careful what you wish for, Buster, because he got it, right? This was the sign. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Now, John would prove to be much more than just the answer to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer for a son. Jesus himself said that no man born of woman was greater than John the Baptist. Now, go down the list of people who you think are pretty cool. And John the Baptist beats them all. That's Elijah. That's, that's Moses, Right? None of them are greater than John the Baptist. And that's according to Jesus. That's Put that on your resume, right? That'll get you the job. And I also don't think it's coincidental. Again, I'm, I'm in danger of wandering into um, lessons at the end of the story here. But I don't think it's coincidental the meanings of the names of the people involved here. I was talking to somebody, oh, we were, Nate and I were talking last week about the power of naming your kid and, 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 and the, how that just seems to work with their personality as they grow. And we were actually counseled when, uh, when we were expecting Andrew, don't name him that. I had an Andrew, it was terrible, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> that was free. <clears throat> the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. Though Israel was living in a time of deep spiritual darkness, the Lord remembered his promise to send the Messiah. The Lord remembered his people Israel and was at work, though it took a long time. The Lord remembered his promise. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's God's promise of Messiah. 
he had not forgotten. The name Elizabeth means God's oath. God's oath was to establish David's throne forever. This is going to sound pretty Christmassy, some of these scriptures, oddly enough. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness for from this time forth and forevermore. God's oath was to establish the throne of David. David was born the tribe of Judah, where the ruler's scepter had been removed until the time of the coming of Messiah. And the name John means Yahweh shows grace. It was John's mission to prepare the way for the embodiment of God's grace, the Lord Jesus. Yahweh shows grace. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That was John's mission. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, these things are not insignificant. Um, these details are important and show how you have been at work from the beginning. Crafting the story of redemption of mankind. All for your glory. To show your grace. To show your love. To show your justice and your holiness. We thank you, Lord, that we get to peek into these stories, to these true accounts, to see your hand at work. And Lord, we know if you are you are at work then, you are at work now. And we are grateful. So Lord, we ask, work in us that you might be glorified in all the earth. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.